0: We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple, and pray the following message speaks to your heart. 3 verse 12. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 to chapter 4 verse verse 1. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind, and if, an, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. According to the work by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brother, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, thanking you for this day, thanking you for your word, Lord, for the beautiful time of praise and worship, Lord, that we had this morning. And we thank you that we do have that promise, Lord, that one day. We will all be in heaven for those of us who have trusted in you for our salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for this time. May you keep us away from distraction and attentive to your word, Father. May we listen to the whispering of your Holy Spirit, Father, and may you minister, minister to us today through your word, Lord. Bless our congregation and bless our families and be with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You can please um, silence your cell phones before we get started. I know a lot of you are using them for the your Bible app, but if you could just silence silence them and put them on vibrate, that'll be greatly appreciated. Well, good morning to everyone. So today we're gonna finish. I'm gonna have to owe you chapter four. I'm gonna just finish chapter three and just the first verse of Chapter 4. Um, we've been covering this beautiful epistle of Paul to the church in Philippi, right? The epistle to the Philippians. Which has been a beautiful epistle of rejoicing in, um, in tough circumstances, of trusting in the Lord, and of seeing Paul's heart, right, and his purpose in life, which is summarized in the key verse to this Philippians. Um, which is in 121 where it says to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? And we saw last week that Paul's purpose in life, um, and we'll be talking about profit and loss column. Uh, his profit column was to know Jesus Christ more and more each day, right? And we're going to see why that's important and why we do that in this section here as we end um, at least chapter three today. So Here we see in those first few verses from child, we're going to go over first verses 12 through 16, where he talks, uses the analogy of a runner, of running a race and keep pressing on, right, that we keep pressing on. And it says in verse 12 through 16, if you can follow on, it says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will re- reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind, right? So Paul uses here it's kind of like the analogy of a runner where a marathon runner presses towards a goal and the finish line either to win first place or just to finish right Um, many people that are running the race the prize or the finish line is what motivates a runner right um to get to that finish line and so here we see in verse 12 um that paul and we saw this in the past few weeks he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Of, of knowing the law, as we saw last week, of Pharisee. Um, and as a believer, the greatest Christian to walk on this earth. However, in his eyes, he still had a lot to go. He had not yet attained the prize, right? And neither have I. Paul at this point says, I haven't attained the prize. We have a lot more to go in our own lives, Right? Um, And we're going to see throughout these verses that it does not matter how long we have been in the ministry, we are still being sanctified every day and continue running the race and becoming more and more like Christ Jesus, right? So Paul here, first in verse 12, begins with a very honest perspective of his walk in Jesus Christ in saying that he had not yet attained that which he sought, right? And what was that that which he sought, which we're going to see in the next few verses, and that is to become perfect. The word perfect is going to come up, but the word perfect here is used as um, interchangeably with mature, right? As a mature Christian, right? To become perfect or in glorified state, which we're going to go over later. Um, because of this, he continues on, right? The Greek word for press on here or to continue going is used when speaking of a sprinter. All right. We always say, yes, the Christian walk is a marathon, Right. Why? Because it's just long term, right? It's for the rest of your life. It's not just one quick sprint um, and we're done. It's a a long marathon, right, Uh, that we have to run. However, the word here is used for a sprinter, um, not in how quick the race is, but in the intention and how you run the race, right? With full force and aggressively, Paul lived his sanctified life with all his might to win mean all his being all his strength when went into living a sanctified life a life of holiness right like a sprinter really aggressive right um and you've seen the difference between a sprinter and a marathon runner a marathon runner keeps his pace right to slow pace a sprinter i was seeing some videos yesterday of usain bolt um how you know his body, when you see those princes running, their cheeks are like going everywhere, their arms are like going crazy, right? They're really aggressively trying to get to that finish line. And so that's what he's talking about here. Yes, the Christian walk is a marathon. I mean, it's just long-term, but the way we run it should be aggressively with all our being, with all our mind, and with all our strength to live a life of holiness, right? In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? So all these people looking at us, especially when they know you're a believer, right? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, right? So once again, as a runner, putting away all those sins or anything that weighs you down, right? So that you could run a good race. In 2 Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24-27, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown or incorruptible crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I might find I myself should become disqualified. Right? So running with purpose and intention, right? And disciplining your body to saying no Yes, his fleshy body is, you know, there's temptations and so on. Say, no, you will not, I will not be subject to you or you will be subject to mine. I will discipline you, right? Um, so that I will not be disqualified. So Paul strives with all his might to lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of him on Damascus and what he expects of us, basically to conform to his glorious image every single day, right? And that's ultimately what our prize is. Um, and why we run the race. In Romans 8.29, it says, For he, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's all of us. He predestined to conform to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among the brethren, right? So this is the very goal that Paul and us as believers should try to attain uh, that with all our might, every single day, every second of our lives, Um, conform to his image um, in our lives and what we do, right? Now in verse 13 so verse 12 it says he has not attained yet he still had a long way to go, right? In verse 13 it says brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, right? So Paul Once again, says he had not obtained his prize, right? Whether it was to conform completely to Christ's image or to be in glory when the Lord takes him, right? That's the ultimate prize for all of us, right? It's to be in heaven and in glory. He has said he had not obtained it yet, but it was one thing that was very important that he did, right? Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind and looking ahead, right? This is very, very important very very important so so many people even unbelievers right even psychologists say this forgetting what's behind or or letting go of what's behind right people it's shown scientific um studies have shown that those people that hold grudges and do not forgive um it creates stress anxiety physical it manifests itself in physical issues right um you need to let go leave what's behind um but here he's talking about different things right his sin any failures any past ministry accomplishments any past good deeds anything that's behind right um to not focus on that but what christ has to do with us and with our lives ahead and in the future right uh, and the same thing once again when you're running i know i've ran a few um half marathons i know eddie is a poor guy he's training for a whole marathon um But there's something about, there's a sense of accomplishment when you start running. Let's say a half marathon, 13 miles, right? When you get to 10 miles, you feel accomplished. You'll be like, all right, it's 10 miles, right? But that's not enough. Be like, all right, that's behind me. I did that, awesome, but I still got these three miles. And let me tell you, those last three miles feel like another 10 because your body's tired, right? Your body's exhausted. But forgetting what's behind being like, you know what? I have to get to that finish line eventually, right? And there's always, it's also in your walk, when you're running right there are people behind and people in front running to the same finish line right same in the christian walk everyone is a different part of the race some are just beginning some are already finishing with their race right no matter what you're doing keep running there's nothing worse and i know eddie and alberto Luis. have you ran a 5k, 5K with us right when you, but more than, when you get to 10Ks, right, when it's like six miles and, and half marathons, there's nothing worse than stopping. Eddie, right? <laughs> we ran a few. Even if you're exhausted, because once you stop, it's very, very difficult to start running again. Because you feel the sores. you would be like, ooh, my knee, my head, my hair. Everything hurts, right? And it's very, very difficult to start up again right and the same thing with the christian walk right and i've seen people that have left the the faith left the walk done this and they come back praise god right but it's so much more difficult so much more difficult right and there's a few verses in the bible that tell us that, that those who are in the faith and have left it it's almost impossible many times for them to come back right and it's very very difficult one thing is to put just put one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the other right no matter where you're at no matter how fast you're going or what pace you're going um in luke chapter 9 verse 62 it says but jesus said to him no one no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of god right once you're in the faith once the lord has taken hold of your life and he saved your life look forward right now what's behind and people will remind you, and Satan will remind you of what you've done and try to shame you. So you're not worthy. Why are you a leader? Why are you up there preaching? You've done this. You've done that. Why are you ministering with the teens or the ministers? whatever? You're not worthy. And what's the answer to that? You're right. I'm not worthy. But in Jesus Christ, I am. And that's his mercy, that we are not worthy to serve him. We are not. No one here is. I don't care how much you know, how good you think you are. No one here is worthy to serve the king. But through his love, through his mercy, and his grace, and through his blood and righteousness imputed on us, we are now worthy only through him. Right? And we have the privilege and honor to be able to serve him. But make sure you don't look back. You look forward. Right? That's what verse 13, 12 and 13. I still have not attained it. Right? But I look forward to what Jesus Christ will do in my life in my family and whatever i'm doing right in verse 14 so that was verse 12 13 and 14 and in, in 13 and 14 it says once again i press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus and we just spoke about that right um in conforming more to him and that upward call <clears throat> to be glorified and be with him right that upward call is unattainable here But one day we will cross that finish line and rest and have complete rest, right? And once again, as a marathon runner, there is nothing better than crossing that finish line and just resting. It's like I'm done. I finished the race. No matter what time I got, no matter how horrible the good I did, I finished the race, right, and resting. And one day we will have that eternal rest that the Lord Jesus Christ promises, right? In verse 15, let's, let's go straight to that. It says, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Right? Therefore, whenever we see the word therefore, uh, it is referring to what was said before. Right? So let us who are mature in the faith seek that which was said previously. Right? More conforming to his image and so on. So all of us who are mature in the faith, who have years in the faith and year in the Lord, have this mind of being more and more conformed to our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Pressing on in the race, seeking to be Christ-like in all that we do as one person, as a church and as a people, right? Which continues the same theme of unity that he brought up in chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 2. Paul exhorts us to be of the same mind, if we are confessed, mature believers, right, in the faith, to leave that which is behind and focus on what is ahead. Um, However, and it says here, if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal even this to you, right? It says here, I'm sorry, lost my train, just give me a second. If there is anyone that does not have this mindset, or this maturity right of leaving what's behind and looking forward of being more christ-like each day the lord will reveal this to the person sometimes through god's discipline right sometimes through his discipline you would be like wait up you're, you're 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 you know focusing too much on the past you're not focusing on what i've done in your life already and not what's ahead of you right for this reason i can't use you you need to you need to stop right um and sometimes he uses godly discipline in order to mature us or get us to that point in hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11 hebrews 12 5 through 11 it says and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons it says my son do not despise the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which have you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So even praise God for his discipline, right? That's just showing you that you are his child. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. So, kids, when we discipline you, you have to show us what? Oh, y'all don't to say that with enough. You have to show us what? Respect. And all the children said, a. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I love it. It's right. Sometimes as adults, we have that same attitude with the Lord, right? <laughs> Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seems best to them. But he for our profit, and what's that profit? That we may be partakers of his holiness. Right? And that's the ultimate um, uh, purpose for his discipline. So that we may be more conformed to his image and be more holy and sanctified. And sometimes there are people that do not understand this that are mature in the faith, and he's like, well, God will reveal it to them, and sometimes it is through discipline, right, or through hardship or tribulation in life. But it's also important to know that last verse of this, um, Hebrews, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained, right, talks about a runner. When you run, right, you got to subject your body, discipline it. And let me tell you, training, when you're exhausted, tired after a long day, Eddie, how many miles now? Got to do about eight or ten. <laughs> when you get to that point, right, and it's very difficult. You got to discipline your body, discipline your mind more than anything. Running is about your mindset, right, kind of psyching yourself out and saying, I got to run. When you're training, right, when you're being trained, It hurts. It hurts. And it's not fun. It is not fun. I enjoy running, but it is not fun. But when you get to that race and you finish 10 miles, 6 miles, 13 miles, 26.2 miles, it is one of the greatest achievements. I, I, I can't tell you as a runner, when you cross that finish line and you be like, I did it, it, it is just awesome. It is such a, a, such a great feeling that I did this, right? And anything that you do that goes, hard work goes into it right after you attain it. Um, so the same thing with God's discipline. He's training you to be holy like he is, to be sanctified, to be loving, to be merciful, to be forgiving. Whatever he's training you for, he's training you for his kingdom, right? Um, so just be, you know, it's not happy to go through that, right? It's not, it's not fun, um, but know that he is training you for something and for his will. So in verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, To the degree that we have already attained, no matter where you are in that race and how mature you are, let us walk, once again, this theme of unity. Let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. Here Paul encourages us to continue walking the straight line that has gotten us to this point of maturity and that we have attained in Christ Jesus. We are to keep progressing in our sanctification by the same principles, that had brought about spiritual growth, continue doing what you're doing, right? Waking up and reading your word, even if you don't want to, even if you're exhausted, praying, loving on others, forgiving others, right? Forgiving yourself, asking the Lord for forgiveness over and over again, admonishing in love and seeking his face and pressing on every single day. So that first part, verses 12 through 16, We see that Paul exhorts us to continue pressing on, continue going forward, disciplining your body for the race, running as a sprinter, right, with all your being, with all your force to be more holy like he is, to be holy like he is. And now we get to this last part, verses 17 um, through chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, I'm just going to read it over again, starting from verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their same, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. That it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown shall stand fast in the Lord above. So here in verse 17, Paul now encourages them to follow godly examples that surround them. As believers, we need examples of imperfect people who know how to deal with imperfection in a godly manner and pursue the goal of Christ-likeness. We need, to, we need to imitate those who humbly seek his face and live out a life of holiness separated for his glory, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, right? And it's not that we worship man, right? We idolize them, but there are people that are examples of this is the way I should be. This, You know what? That's the way I want to live, right? Look at that guy. He's loving. He's forgiving. I know he's going through stuff, yet he is, still has joy in his heart. That's what I want. Look at that father, the way his kids love him, right? The way he's loving with his kids. Dad, I want to be like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right, to, to choose those people you imitate. Because let me tell you, you're doing it anyway. You think you're not. We're constantly looking at people and seeing that's what I want, whether it's at work, at home, wherever it is, right? We have a horrible time, I know I do, to come to, right? So be careful with that, not comparing, oh, that person has that, that person is this, oh, I'm nothing, I will compare it to that, right? Um, we only compare ourselves to our Lord, right, which we are not worthy for, but one day we'll attain that through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we see other people that are living a godly life, and we will imitate those things that they're doing, right, those habits that they have. Examples, and we saw it in the last chapters, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, right, and their love and faithfulness. Um to the church, faithful men and women who esteem others more important than themselves or their own self-interest, right? And once again, going back to the race, right? Going back to the race, when you're running a race, especially when you're exhausted, right? See, the thing about a race, when you first start, you're in a crowd of like hundreds of people. So you get caught up in that, right? And you start running too fast or too so. Whatever it may be. But after a while, the crowd dissipates, right? The slow runners stay back, the fast runners are in front, and so on, and you're there by yourself, right? And that's when it starts getting exhausting. It gets exhausting. And what you do when you're running a race, um, what I usually do, um, Eddie and I have done this on races, you find somebody that has a pace that you can't keep up with, that you can't keep up with, and you follow that person for a few miles, right? That person doesn't even know you're following them. So it's just like weird stalking, but they don't know. But for a race. But that pace, it's crazy how your body literally adjusts even without your no know, subconsciously, and all of a sudden you're walking at, running at the same pace for like four to five miles. And eventually either that person runs off, falls back, and you go forward and so on, right? But that person helps you along the toughest times of the race. And many times you change your pace throughout the race, right? Um, At the the first part of the race, you start a bit quicker. At the end, maybe a bit slower, right? But let me tell you, when you see that finish line, that's why we always got to keep our eyes on those finish line. Man, all of a sudden you get this burst of energy and you go crazy for that finish line, right? But during that race, we find some examples to keep our pace, right? This is the same thing. In your walk, you see, where am I at, right? Where am I at? I'm not at Ivan's level yet, but I'm here. Let me find a person that's here at my level. Let me become friends with them, right? A mentor, disciple, whatever it may be, and follow that pace. See what they're doing. Oh, they come to church early. They do this. They do that. They do that, right? To kind of help us along that pace. And maybe later on you'll pull away, right? You'll become the teacher. You'll become the person in front. Whatever it is, right? But following that person, those imitators to help you along the race, right? Because we cannot do this alone. You cannot run this race alone. I guarantee you won't. If not, you will fall. Right? I also see people, the last race we won in Brooklyn, it was a half marathon, and there was this guy, Eddie, I don't know if you remember him or Alberto, if I was with you. This guy bolted. And I've run enough races to be like, oh, you're done. You're done, dude. And he was a young kid that thought, yes, boom, boom, boom. It was his 20s. I think it was mile 12. Guy fell flat on his face. And actually, the paramedics, I think, were taking care of him on the side. It was too fast, and he wanted to do it on his own. He was like, I got this. Boom, ran that pace. I was like, nah, man, this is a long marathon. you got to pace yourself, right? And he didn't. He ended up on his face, you know, getting medical care, right? So being very careful with that. You're doing it together as a family and seeing those persons, those examples that, you know, have those habits that help us along the way, right? So finding those examples, I hear Timothy and Epaphroditus um, or Paul himself, right? Or anyone that has those godly habits that you want to imitate. In verse 18, he gives another warning as he has given throughout this epistle. It says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And going into um verse 19 whose end is destruction whose god is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things right so once again he talks about these um (coughs) and we spoke about this in the beginning in chapter one about these people that preach the gospel that were confessed believers right um But once again, it was just rituals and and ceremonies that they followed. It was just outward Christianity, not an inward change from the Holy Spirit. Now, they do not blatantly deny the deity or work of Christ on the cross, but do not live a life that seeks to be more Christ-like every day. Um, And he calls them enemies of the cross. This could have been, again, once again, the people we spoke about, the Judaizers. Who wanted them to go back into these rituals right to the circumcision to this and that and so on who once again did not deny Christ blatantly but did so through the persistence in going back to rituals and ceremonies right knowing that there's only, only through faith and trusting in Jesus Christ that we have eternal life and in verse 19 these people he said that it describes them that they were guided by very specific things right their appetite first of all This could mean their desire for religious works and ceremonies, sensual desire, or dietary restrictions they adhere to. Whether it was an appetite of following rules and laws, right? Instead of trusting in Jesus Christ. Also says here that their glory is their shame, right? No matter how much they boasted about their works and what they did, I follow this, I did this, I did this on time, I did this ceremony, so on and so forth. It was all shame, dirty rags in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for us, right, Um, through faith. And thirdly, so first he says, their appetite, their glory is their shame. And third, who set their minds on earthly things, right? Because they haven't been sanctified, right? They're not righteous yet. They haven't been saved. Their mind is just on earthly things, right? Which is understandable. You cannot focus on heavenly things and things of the kingdom unless you have the Holy Spirit. It's still just earthly things and ceremonies and rituals. It's not until you're saved and the Holy Spirit dwells in you can you understand the word, understand what his will is for you, and anything having to do with his kingdom. Because that's what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, not under your own power, right? And in that first part of verse 19, it says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. The Greek word for end here means ultimate destiny or fate. Their ultimate destiny is destruction. Why? Because they relied on just works, rituals, and ceremonies. We know very well those were just works. And because of that, their ultimate destiny was eternal destruction and not eternal life. Only the grace of God and mercy of God brings eternal life, not these things so yes find godly examples he said not these guys right that are relying on earthly things but godly examples like timothy myself epaphroditus and also other people in the faith that are living a life of holiness now in contrast to these people and we this is where we get to the end of this in verse 20 it says for our citizenship is in heaven for in which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord jesus christ so, in contrast, our ultimate destiny is life and eternal life, right? The moment you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your citizenship changed from citizenship of destruction to citizen, citizen of heaven. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God before Jesus Christ you were a stranger and a foreigner but now you're a citizen with the saints and members of the household of God right you've been adopted into his household so raise your hand if you're a saint oh I see some people now raising your hand ready well hold on now suck so, now now therefore, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer a stranger and a foreigner, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and the members of the household of God. So yes, you are anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is a saint. Now what does that mean? Does that mean indeed, right? Because when people say saint, they be like, are you a saint? you like, no, you have no idea what I've done, right? Wrong concept of being a saint, right? Sanctification, saint, holiness, all the same word, right? Separated. Not because of your works and what you've done or continue doing, maybe. I don't know what it is. But because of what he did on the cross, right? It's your position, right? Before, end is destruction, Ultimate destiny is hell, separation from God before Jesus Christ. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, asking for forgiveness of sins, immediately you became a citizen of heaven in the household of God. Not because of what you did, but what He did on the cross. Now you're separated for Him and His glory. So once you come here, right? I don't know if you guys ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Great description of this, right? That says you were at the, at the precipice of hell, just being held by a little string. Right? Right here. Hell was right there, and you were here before Jesus Christ. That if you died without him, Jesus Christ will cut that string, and nothing will stop you from going straight into hell. But the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, he plucked you from that. And your position is in his kingdom. Right? Now we can't see it. But all of us now, if we died right now in him, are what? In glory and in his kingdom, in heaven, immediately. Absent in the flesh, present with God, right? And that's what it's saying here, right? That we became saints. So we are all saints for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, meaning we're separated for his kingdom and for his glory. John 14, verse 2 and 3, it says, you guys have heard this many times. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also, right? Luke ten twenty and I love this verse. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven that's where true glory is right doesn't matter what you can do in the ministry what you do in the ministry it's that our names are written in heaven in the palm of his hand to never be taken away first peter chapter one verse three through four it says blessed be the god and the father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You have a reserve ticket in heaven where your name is written, right? And you will spend eternity with him. So our citizenship is in heaven <clears throat> and with him. Verse 21, it says our citizenship comes with certain perks, right? And this is beautiful. Who would transform the lowly body or this flesh... That it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things. With our citizenship come specific privileges. One of them is glorification. We will be transformed and glorified to live with him for eternity. Right? Those already dead in Christ will receive new bodies at the resurrection and rapture of the church. And those of us who are still here will be raptured and will be glorified. Um, at that time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 43 to 53 beautiful, beautiful verses. It says it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown in a natural body it is raised a spiritual body there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body and so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a live life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual, right? So we're first in this flesh, later on we'll be glorified. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Jesus is God. There it goes right there. The second man, Jesus Christ, is the Lord from heaven. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And that is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have have borne the image of the man of dust, or Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We should not all sleep. we we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality as citizens of heaven right your body will be changed because we cannot go with this corruptible body into heaven now, if you want me to explain to you exactly what that means, yeah, good luck. I don't know, you know, specifically what that means. I mean, I can study it, but when we get there, we'll find out. Be like, what if people don't have arms? Will they have arms? If you die old, will you be young again? Like, I don't know. When you get there, let me know. And if you don't get there, well, <laughs> your body's going to be doing something else, right? It's going to be burning up. Um. But I know we will be glorified. We will have a, be in a different state. Our body will be in a different state, right? So how is this? Verse 21, it says, right, that all things are subdued to him. It's through his power that even physics and science and natural laws do not apply to him, that he will do things that are beyond physics and beyond what we can understand and have us in a state that we can be before the presence of God and be able to praise and worship him. For eternity. And to end this, chapter four, verse one, it says, Therefore, my beloved, after all this, my joy and crown, my brothers, my church of Philippi and Christian Bible Temple, so stand fast in the Lord. So we end this section with an exhortation from Paul to stand fast in the Lord, right? Like I said in Hebrews twelve, verse one and two, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking and this is our prize our finish line looking unto Jesus the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God to intercede for us every single second so let us look to him as our final prize and finish line and the one that gives us power, strength, and energy. Rejoicing throughout the race, no matter how difficult. We have a loving God, a loving church. Let's be united in body and mind and spirit to love as he has loved us. We have a citizenship in heaven that no one can take away, incorruptible. And one day we will be glorified with him For. So with those truths, knowing that, may that guide you in your race wherever you're at. One step, one foot in front of the other, knowing that he is with us and that will leave us, no forsake us throughout this race we call life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.